The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We are going to talk about how Tom Brady's retirement helps and hurts the Green Bay Packers. We're also going to talk about how dumb we were to think Caleb Williams would go to Wisconsin. He chose USC if you did not see that. And lastly, we will talk about the Golden Kegs for the Bucks and the Wizards. Talk a little bit about the game itself uh, before we're handing out some Golden Kegs for that game. If you're unfamiliar with us, we're Tabbing the Keg Podcast. We are on social media, Tabbing the Keg on Twitter, Tabbing the Keg Sports on everything else. Make sure you're rating and reviewing. If you've just recently subscribed, if you've subscribed for a while and you haven't rated and reviewed, I don't know what's the matter with you. I'm going to have to ask you next time I see you why you haven't rate, rate haven't rated or reviewed or done both uh, to the podcast. And there'll be an awkward thing. We don't need it. You can just send me the screenshot and be like, look, Chuck, I rated and reviewed it. I'd appreciate it. Gets us more into the podcast world. More people know us. We get bigger. All the things. We love that. We also love Tom Brady retiring because it's one less thing to worry about in the NFC. So let's talk about Tom Brady and how it helps and hurts the Packers. As you all know, Tom Brady has retired from the game of football. Tom Brady called it quits on Tuesday in a statement on Instagram. There wasn't really a big press conference. I still remember where I was for the Brett Favre retirement speech, which was believe March the 3rd, you could probably find an old Chuck's Corner blog of me writing about how this must be how Bulls fans felt when Jordan left. This must be how Celtics fans felt when Bird left. I don't know why I kept doing uh, basketball comparisons. I think I said Broncos fans, Elway. He mentioned a few other examples basically of like, I felt so weird about the whole thing. And then obviously the drama that followed that summer was unparalleled to really anything we've seen since. Like I don't think there's anything like the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers drama that divided a fan base like we saw in the summer of 2008. And so Tom Brady obviously does it through Instagram like I think anyone would, right? And he's on social media all day. And that's basically how Tom Brady approached it. And Tom Brady has now retired from the game. We'll see if he holds true. I did see Jonathan Bales, who's a very smart guy, say, where can I get odds on Brady playing next year? And I don't think those are bad odds to take. If it's like plus 300 or something like that, I think it's at least worth a flyer because that itch comes back. We talked about that, I think, on a show last week or two weeks ago, how every July or every August I get the itch to play football again i just do i i've it's less and less as i've gotten older and gotten away from the game but when i was like 25 26 like there'd be a hot summer day where i'd be like i should be out in two days like you just get that feeling and i know tom brady is gonna have that feeling come july come august there will be a time where tom brady's looking at this and being like i want to play football again so we'll see if the urge to play is is greater than the urge to be a family man and be at home. We'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. And that will be something for the summer. And maybe he pulls a Brett Favre. If anyone were to pull a Brett Favre, it would be Tom Brady. And all of the accolades, all of the things around Tom Brady, we it's been said on numerous podcasts, 
But we're not here to talk about Tom Brady's accolades. We're not here to suck his dick and talk about how he's the greatest of all time. I think everybody knows that. I think we've had so many discussions in the national media that you guys don't need me talking about it because every other podcast is going to talk about Tom Brady. So we're going to talk about it in a little bit of a different fashion. Obviously, we're going to bring the local team in. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers and how I do think Brady's retirement helps and weirdly hurts the Packers in a few different categories. So we have five different things to talk through about how it hurts and helps uh, the Green Bay Packers. Number one in the helps category is it makes a schedule, a game on the Packers schedule a lot easier. They go to Tampa Bay this this next year. Who knows what Tampa Bay's quarterback situation looks like. Assuming maybe best case scenario, it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins. I think we're feeling all right. I think we're feeling pretty good about about that matchup versus Tom Brady. And that obviously is not a primetime matchup anymore. It's probably a noon start, maybe a 305. The Buccaneers will fade into obscurity, even though they do have some talented players such as Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. I don't know if Leonard Fournette comes back. You know, maybe you have you still have Ronald Jones, who's talented. You have the defense that's pretty good. I mean, the Buccaneers, I'm not saying they're going to be a complete wash next year. It's not like I think they're going to fall off the face of this earth and be a five or six win team. But I do think that it'll be a different environment. It will not be, we're going to have Tampa Bay on, you know, six to seven fucking times in prime time or in the 425 slots. That Those days are dead and gone. But that makes the Packers' life a lot easier. And that creates one more easy game for Green Bay. A part of me wonders if they will try to get Green Bay to... Oh, well, they are... I think they haven't announced the London games yet. I don't think they've announced the London games yet. There have been a push to get Green Bay you know, overseas. There are so many Packer fans overseas. And maybe the Packer-Buccaneer game, now that Brady's gone, is the right move. Maybe considering the fact that the Packers are going to play two games in, in the state of Florida, one in Miami. I realize Miami-Tampa, it's a three or four hour drive. I, I understand that. I get that our Orlando and our Panhandle Packer fans likely would prefer the Tampa game. But I do wonder if that's the choice for London. And they say, all right, we're doing Packer Buccaneers, especially if Jordan Love's playing. I feel like Jordan Love would increase the odds of a potential London game versus Aaron Rodgers. So I, I do think that is in the realm of possibilities for the Green Bay Packers next season. And I do think it's a winnable game at this point. Now, right now, their quarterback's Kyle Trask. I would imagine it's going to be, like we said, Cousins, Garoppolo. I wouldn't be surprised if they get themselves involved in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Like At, at this point of your Tampa Bay, you don't necessarily want to fade to obscurity, right? You have this fan base. Who knows how many are going to stick? But this is now your point of like you wanting to let to have these customers stick. It's like when you have a big push, like retail stores with Holiday, or you know an Intuit TurboTax, right? Where you have everybody use your platform for the first part of the year or for the end of the year. Or gyms, another good example of this. But how do you get them to stick? So how can the Buccaneers make sure that they're still a relevant franchise in football? And the answer is probably Deshaun Watson. Now, I realize Deshaun Watson has a ton of legal shit 
and he is seems to be a scummy dude. So I'm not advocating for Deshaun Watson to be traded to Tampa Bay. But I am saying is that's the way you do it. That's the way you make sure that they are not immediately thrown out and they're the Buccaneers of old. Not necessarily the Yuccaneers, but they're not a team that I think a lot of people care about. You know, maybe a few fantasy guys here and there. Maybe you have the the Bucks defense who still is good, and that's it. So yes, I I think that the Packers benefit from Brady's retirement because of the the game itself. It's a it becomes a lot easier. You'd having to face Brady on the road wouldn't have been fun. The Packers do not do well in that stadium. That stadium has some bad bad juju. Number two is obvious. It convinces Aaron Rodgers to stay another year. So we've talked about this already. We've done a little bit on this. Uh, I think we did it on Monday when the news originally broke. But to kind of reiterate, or for those who might not have listened, it is an easy path for Aaron Rodgers to stay in the NFC. There isn't really a lot that can challenge Aaron Rodgers in the NFC as it stands today. Right now, the quarterbacks that are quote-unquote elite are, I don't even know. I think, is Kyler Murray elite? I can't say that. Is Dak Prescott elite? I mean, win a playoff game, I guess. Uh, Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan. Eh, Matt Stafford, maybe, is getting into that elite category. But if all you have to do is beat Matt Stafford, I think Aaron Rodgers would sign up for that. I realize that Aaron Rodgers seems to not be able to get over the hump. Why that is, I don't know. I think Aaron Rodgers, you know, obviously has to work that problem out and realize that there is not just one wide receiver. And how do you get away from that? How do you make sure that you stay within the system? And I do think part of the strategy, part of the conversations that Matt LaFleur and Rodgers are having right now is basically that, is how how can I, if I'm LaFleur, because Rodgers obviously being the star player, being a guy, a little bit of an ego, coming in there and saying, how can I help you? Like, what can I do to make sure you don't lock in on Devontae without taking Devontae out of the game? And Rodgers like, well, you could do this, you could do that. And if you added this, maybe I wouldn't, you know, lock in and, and wouldn't just keep passing it to Devontae Adams. I have no idea. Not, not a source of intel on that. But this is the type of thing where Rodgers looks at and says, all right, what is my best chance of getting to the Super Bowl? It's the NFC. Green Bay will not trade me to the NFC. Therefore, I need to stay with the Packers, try to win a Super Bowl, tell them to wrote my contract, say I have enough money, just let's do a sweetheart deal and get as many guys in here as possible and try to win a title. I have an interesting Rams thing. I, I don't think Mitch and I will talk about it tomorrow, maybe next week uh, for the Super Bowl in that same sort of vein because I do think Rodgers will see what, LA did and be like, all right, why can't we replicate that? Why can't we build a dream team here? I do think they need to tell Aaron, like, hey, look, some guys just don't want to play in Green Bay. Thought Chris Carter was great today on Good Morning Football, which I quote tweeted Tammy the Keg if you haven't seen it. But they asked Chris Carter, they were like, would the Packers be any different with Odell Beckham? You know, this sports radio topic, something you've probably heard this week. And Chris Carter immediately shuts it down and says, no, Odell wanted to be in LA. Odell had a house in LA. He likes LA. He was not going anywhere but LA. And he obviously mentioned Odell's a very close friend of his. 
as a lot of the analysts do to like qualify their opinion. But yeah, I, I don't think that Green Bay was ever an option for Odell Beckham. And I think the fact of the matter is, is building dream teams in Green Bay is a lot harder than building dream teams in Los Angeles or Tampa Bay. It just is. Because the living sucks. It's not exciting. There's no nightlife. The strip club there is terrible. I mean, literally the Oval Office just should pack it up. Like, the Oval Office is as bad of a strip club as, as I've attended. Um, it, it just has nothing there for you that it has a real redeeming quality. And I, and I think that matters. And you're like, wow, Charlie, way to stereotype every athlete. But you know what? Some are more nightlife guys than others. Yeah. Could the homebodies enjoy Green Bay? Fuck yeah. You could enjoy the hell out of that. But the guys who want to go out, the guys who want to get a little loose... They're not going to have the same amount of fun as the, the homebodies, right? They're, they're just not. That's just not possible. Moving on to number three, if Rodgers doesn't return, the NFC isn't a juggernaut next year. So, yes, if there's no Tampa Bay, I mean, you look at the NFC South, and the NFC South, there's all question marks. Every team has question marks. No one seems to be good. No one seems to be able to take that division by the balls. I guess you could make a slight slight case for Atlanta. Just the fact they have Matt Ryan, they have Cordell Patterson, they have Kyle Pitts. They at least have a foundation, but they have a lot of work to do defensively. They have a lot of work to do between the tackles, so I have no idea. So there's really nothing in the NFC South. You have the Los Angeles Rams. I don't know how much of that team comes back next year. San Francisco 49ers, Trey Lance feels like a step back from Jimmy Garoppolo. It would be surprising to me if San Francisco is in the playoffs again. You have the Seahawks rebuilding, likely getting rid of Russell Wilson. Arizona's Kyler, but the swoons have been really bad for the Cardinals. And Cliff Kingsbury is going to start the year on the hot seat. Dallas another team that could rule the roast. The New York Giants, I think, are a year or two away. The Eagles, I have no idea at this point. I can see the Eagles coming kind of through the ashes and rising up. Football team, or now the Commanders, uh, probably not. And in terms of the NFC North, uh, it's all a lot of unprovens with the Bears, the Lions, and the Vikings. But I think all could be a little bit better than they were last year. So still, if Jordan Love's playing... It's not going to be that hard to get to 10 wins. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but it's going to be a little easier for Jordan Love to get to 10 wins in ways that the retirement hurts the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers could look at this and say, well, I'm not going to retire. I don't think there is any way that Aaron Rodgers is going to retire. Aaron, no chance. And the, the reason really is ego. Um, because Aaron Rodgers does not want to share a Hall of Fame podium with Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger. Both probably first ballot Hall of Famers. Both probably going to share their Hall of Fame weekend together. And there is a 0.0% chance that Aaron Rodgers wants to join them. So even if Rodgers is like, I don't know, maybe I have a year left, maybe I have another year left. The following year, Rodgers can go out on his own. Rodgers is kind of the last of the quarterback Mohicans here of the former generation. I think Matt Ryan, 
I guess Stafford a little bit. Stafford's a little younger, but those are kind of the dudes who are left. And I don't know if Matt Ryan or well Stafford, I think might be a Hall of Famer now with this playoff run, and we'll see what he does in the latter part of his career because his stats are absurd. Like Matt Stafford has had the stats, he just hasn't had the success uh, to put himself as a Hall of Fame quarterback. Matt Ryan, I, I think there will be a lot of debate about Matt Ryan. I think he's an interesting use case for you know the future, right? Because Matt Ryan had a MVP season. He got to a Super Bowl, but he kind of tailed off after that. It was never really the quarterback that he once was. So I, I do think Rodgers will not retire for that reason. He will not want to share that stage with Brady. And, that, and that's not like, oh, here's Aaron Rodgers being a douche. No, it's the fact is, is like that, that's kind of just how it how it goes, right? If you can still play and you're like, all right, well, I don't necessarily want to share this moment with the guy that I've been compared to for my entire fucking career. Wouldn't you want to spend another year, whether it's with the Packers or with somebody else? So that to me is a, a big reason why this kind of hurts for those who might say, well, if he retires, it's just we breaks away, we're able to have peace, the Packers save money, no drama, Rodgers goes out just as a Packer, even though he wouldn't go out in the best way possible because obviously that last game was a complete disaster. The last thing of why it hurts the whole Brady Rodgers, the Brady retirement is Aaron Rodgers could look at this and say, all right, Tom Brady, two years with another team, won a Super Bowl, was able to retire on his terms when he realized that it might be worth jumping ship. Peyton Manning went to another team. I think he played three years in Denver and was able to get to one Super, an additional Super Bowl and then win one. So he went to three Super Bowls total for his career. And the second team that he played for, they went to two Super Bowls during that time. Brett Favre nearly went to a Super Bowl, was on the cusp, ironically, of making a Super Bowl, and then threw a terrible interception to the New Orleans Saints. Favre was unable to get back. Joe Montana, while he had an illustrious career, kind of similar to Brady's, he was never able to get back with the team, the, the, the next team with Kansas City if we take it a step back, like we look back in time. So this has happened before in history. Johnny Unitas is another example. I think Joe Namath also too, right? But all of, There's been multiple examples of quarterbacks who at the end of their career, they move on to another team. Troy Aikman was on with Ryan Rosillo, uh, I think last week, and Aikman talked about how he was going to be the San Diego quarterback, that the San Diego Chargers wanted Troy Aikman to take over that team at the end of his career. Aikman had left the Cowboys. Aikman was unsure what he wanted to do. And Aikman could have been the Chargers quarterback had the GM of the Chargers not been a former Bills GM or a former Bills front office guy. And he was hell-bent on signing either Rob Johnson or Doug Flutie, whomever the Chargers, were, or I'm sorry, the Bills were to give up. And they gave up Doug Flutie. Flutie became a, char a Charger and the rest is history. And then Aikman decided to retire. So it has happened so fucking often, I guess, it, that a quarterback leaves. And I think... That's why I think a lot of people in the media, I think a lot of Packer fans, just assume it's going to happen because it seems like these quarterbacks at the end of their career just want another adventure. They want another experience. I think the fact that Rodgers has talked to Favre about what it's like dealing with other media since he went to the Jets, since he went to Minnesota, 
I do wonder if that factors in because that was the biggest thing Rodgers was lamenting during the Pat McAfee interview after the season, the exit interview, if you will, where he was like, yeah, I don't want to deal with the day-to-day bullshit as much anymore. Like, And you're so well insulated with the Packer media. You know all these guys, you know all these girls, like you know everybody, right? You know, you're on a nickname basis with Rob Demasi, you call him Bob, you're you know, you're called Tom Silverstein Spoon. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily you have to learn all new names, you have to, you know, forge relationships. Do you really want to do that at age thirty seven? Especially when likely a lot of these journalists have preconceived notions about you. Rogers is probably one of the more shall we say, divisive players. And I know he hates that word, but like there are, I think if he went to Denver, like Mike Kills, right, who's a a pretty renowned Denver reporter, I would say that Mike's probably fair. I don't know Mike's work that closely, but you don't think Mike would come in with a little bit of a preconceived notion of Rodgers? Of course he would. It's hard not to. We're human. We do that all the time. Like if we hear that, oh yeah, this guy's a douche or that chick's a bitch, like we're going to, that's immediately going to be in our head when we see that person for the first time. Now we might meet them. I have a few beers and we're like, hey, that person isn't that bad. She's not a bitch. Like, what are you talking about? He's not a dick. He's a cool dude. Like buying the shots. He's great. Now in time, maybe they, they actually show the true colors. You're like, oh, wow, that person does suck. But that it's all can change, man. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's a long way to go. I spent too much time on this topic, but I do find it fascinating. I do think that Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers are weirdly tied at the hip. And I do think that Brady's retirement does factor into a lot of things involving the Green Bay Packers. Moving on to Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams decides to go to USC and not Wisconsin. And I don't think any of us should have been surprised. I thought about it more. I watched the hype video and I was like, we are so fucking dumb. I cannot believe that all of us thought that Caleb Williams might go to Wisconsin. Now, yes, there were a lot of signs. You had the Russell Wilson thing. You had Bobby Ingram. You had Bobby Ingram's son who plays for the team. Like There were things that pointed to Wisconsin, but Wisconsin came in so late that it makes you wonder what Caleb Williams was trying to do. And it it gives off a lot of vibes of the Packers pursuing a free agent, right? You know how many times we've had like, oh, Packers are in hot pursuit of this guy. And all that's really doing is his agent is trying to drive up the value. So did Caleb Williams' father, who's very involved as we know, I think his name's Carl, uh, did he try to kind of drive up the NIL value in USC and USC make a few more promises to ensure Williams would come to the Trojans. The idea, the worry was, according to people around him, that USC and LSU might be in more of a rebuilding stage and Wisconsin is ready to win now. Maybe Williams looked at it and said, not only the money, put that aside, but Williams looked at it and said, all right, build a case for me, coach. He has a relationship with Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley was like, yeah, maybe next year is going to be tough. You're going to hear a lot of shit from the media, but the year after, we're going to run shit. We just need a year to kind of rebuild, reset, recruit, and get everything together. And trust me, Lincoln Riley will use that transfer portal 
as good as anybody. He's already done it. He's already started to, and I think he will continue. Today is National Signing Day for college football, by the way. So I do think you'll have a lot of moves being made. I think you can sell USC. USC always could be sold. I think that was people's consternation with why USC was so bad, and why USC was so cheap, because USC is a premier institution. There are people who care about USC. You could make an argument here that college athletics are in the upper echelon of things actual Los Angeles people, not transplants, care about more than like say the Los Angeles Rams. Like if I think about it, if I had to like look at this and say, what do people care about as LA people? And I don't know, I have friends in LA, so maybe they'll listen to the pod and give me their POV. But I think there are a lot of people who are, before they're like Rams fans or Chargers fans, LOL, uh, before they're either of those, they are Dodger fans, they're Laker fans, and maybe either USC USC football or UCLA basketball fans. Like to me, those are like the top three. And, so, and with the revival of US, UCLA, it's hard because you're UCLA, US, UCLA basketball, that USC football could have a similar revival. And I think that's what, what was being sold. I think the idea of LA, just with like LeBron, with all the guys that are on the Rams right now, with the, I don't I don't think baseball is, is in that forefront, but the Dodgers, Mookie Betts, like they're, there are so many prominent stars in LA right now. And LA is probably, and it's all, it's kind of always been that way, right? It, it, this isn't anything new. You know, the Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush days and where Matt Leinart was, you know, at catching all these big clubs and Matt, he was a deity. He was a fucking God at LA. And I, I'm sure Leinart, who is a big time USC supporter still, I'm sure Leinart placed the call and was like, dude, you can be a legend here. You could be absolutely renowned, revived. People could will look at you as the reason USC turned around their program. USC has never been to a college football playoff. They have never been there. USC would have the similar adora- adoration. USC would have the same sort of love that Michigan has got in the last few months for getting to the playoff. Like that will be a big fucking deal. So for us to think that he was going to go to Wisconsin is such a joke. Like I I should have been way more on the other side of this and said, guys, let's just think about this hard. I saw Jeff Patrikas called it a long shot, which was cute by Jeff. Like that was a really nice way to uh, absolve the Badger football program. Like, it wasn't a long shot. There were people saying, this is a near done deal. We got into done deal status, which proves that nothing is a done deal until it's actually official. So Patrikas to say it's a long shot is just Jeff covering up for his buddies at the Badger football program. Like, that, it was not a long shot. People thought that this was going to happen. So maybe according to Jeff and according to his sources, it was like I heard from people. And again, I don't have a ton of sources. I'm not a source guy. I don't want to be Woj. I don't want to be Passan. But from what I heard, it was the NIL deals were a major hangup for Caleb Williams. And the Badgers didn't have a lot of them. Caleb Williams didn't really like that. And he wanted to make obviously some money as, as all these college guys do now. Um, and that kind of turned him away from Wisconsin. 
And that's embarrassing for the Badgers because you have American Family Insurance, you have Fiduciary, you have Wheels Up, you have all you have all these other places that could really sort of drop the bank for him, and they weren't able to. And whether and I think they were trying to put something together, and it just didn't really appeal to Williams. And so whether that was the final nail in the coffin where he's like, all right, I'll go to USC because I'll make more money, I'll live in LA and all this stuff. Or if it was always UCLA or always USC, excuse me, I apologize. I know if someone's a USC fan listening to this, they're like, fuck right off. But if it was always USC and there was no there's no real if fans bones about it, and maybe Patricus was right, and it was always a long shot, and we shouldn't have got our hopes up. I think it's a good lesson in the transfer portal. If something smells like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Everything pointed to USC. I think we should have just proceeded with a little more caution. I think everybody was excited because Caleb Williams is really good. He's a considered a top pick in the NFL draft in 2024. I realize that's two years from now. A lot can happen. But and I also think it's due to Graham Mertz's struggles. I think if Graham Mertz had an awesome year last year, I don't think anybody would would have been banging down a door for Williams. I think, yeah, I don't know. That's actually an interesting topic. And maybe that's something for my local radio friends. But like, if Graham Mertz had a good season last year, and you could qualify good season in any way you want, I, I would qualify it as he doesn't lose you a game. Like, to me, Graham Mertz lost the Badgers, the Penn State game, and the Notre Dame game to start the year. And if they don't lose those two games, you know, where, where does Wisconsin end up? Um, and, and so that's the, to me, that's the thing about Mertz. And if Mertz had a better year, would you have even wanted Caleb Williams? I think you'd say, well, yeah, but what does that say to Mertz? And it would have Mertz went to the portal and said, fuck you guys. Like, I'm going to go play for another Power 5 team. So Mertz, I wrote about it today on uh, Tabby the Keg. I was almost going to say Snowstep to be on. Tabby the Keg, sports.com about can Mertz silence the haters this year? It'll be really interesting to see sort of what his mentality is to start the year. Because he could have an awesome fuck you year and be great for Wisconsin and sort of live up to that hype. But unfortunately for Mertz, he's going to have a ton of pressure on him. People are going to call for Miles Burkett, who's the freshman quarterback from Franklin. And we'll see. And I, I kind of want Mertz to live up to it. I kind of hope that this is the year for Graham Mertz. We'll see. And maybe this is also a lesson on why we don't get too fired up about the transfer portal. Wrapping up this show with the Milwaukee Bucks and some Golden Kegs. If you're new to the show, Golden Kegs are basically our look at who did well, who didn't do well in the game itself. Uh, we'll do it for the Packers. We'll do it for the Bucks. We'll do it for Marquette. And we'll probably do it for the Wisconsin Badger football team when that gets going next fall as well. What I want to know from the people, if someone could reach out to me on this, I'm going to probably do an Instagram poll. Do you want golden kegs when they lose? So, like, I decided not to do golden kegs for the Bucks on Wednesday night when they lost to Cleveland. Because I'm like, there's really no, like, positives. Like, this isn't a positive thing. But maybe I need to do that as sort of an experiment uh, more on a social side of things. I, we can do it, obviously, on the podcast, but I'm more wondering from a social media side of things because we have posted these on social uh, at Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram if you're curious. But here are the Golden Kegs for the Bucks win over the Wizards, which before we get started on the, on the Golden Kegs, really quick, 
the Bucks, man, it was scary hours there. The Bucks were down one to the Wizards in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Bucks really slept walk through the second half. Mitch and I, I think, are going to do a little bit on the third quarter stuff. I actually have a larger thing, and then we'll condense it down to the third quarter stuff with the Bucks. And whatever happens to Milwaukee at halftime, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know why they come out so sleepy. They basically let Washington back into this basketball game. Washington started making some shots. Started to believe Montrez Harold went off before he had the dirty foul on Giannis, which I talked about on TabinyHigsports.com too. So, man, big day for the website getting shout out. The Bucks found themselves in that last five minutes of the game. Giannis was great. Middleton started hitting some shots. Holiday had a couple big ones. Like, that to me, like, I realize the Bucks can't bring that energy every night. I, I, I totally get that. I get it's an 82-game season. I get that there are going to be nights where it's just not falling or it's just not going for you. But if the Bucks can bring a little more of that in spurts, they don't have to do it for an entire game. But just one or two big runs. Like I know Wobe, who I'm not a huge fan of, but you got to follow him because he's, he has all the NBA stuff. He calls it a Cavalanche, right? Where the Cavs just go on this crazy run. And the Warriors have been known for doing this for years. The Bucks need to have that more often they just need to find that run they need to find that one time in the game where they just look like absolute killers and let's not have it be the last five minutes of a game but i mean it looks like a blowout if you if you didn't watch this game you're like oh the bucks took care of business against Brad, bradley bls wizards team it's like well actually i mean this game was 86 to 85 to washington before the bucks kind of found themselves so good for milwaukee for winning but I just would like to see a little bit more from their team early on in, in the game. As for the Golden Kegs, three kegs, two Giannis Antetokounmpo, a triple-double for Giannis, 33 points, 15 rebounds, 11 assists. Giannis ties Bird and Kareem for the most 30, 15, and 10 games. I think he's fifth all-time right now. Absolutely absurd. Uh, Giannis ha also had no points in the first quarter. He asked Stephanie Reddy of TNT asked about that, and Giannis just was like, "I will need to get my other guys involved. I need to get them going because I know I'm going to get mine." And it, it was a really interesting quote. And I'm a big believer that first quarters in the NBA are not that important. I think this is a situation where they are because I think Giannis knew that some of those guys were struggling and that some of those guys did not play well against Denver or against Cleveland. And maybe he watched the tape of the New York Knicks game and was like, how did we you know, kind of steadily beat the Knicks? And it's like, maybe I need to get my guys more involved. So a really good game for me, honestly, to Kumbo. He continues his run. I don't know if he'll make it to that MVP level just with the way like Jokic is playing. I think it's kind of Embiid's year. I think we see this in the NBA where the MVP goes to a guy who's like, this is his year. And I feel like Embiid, given all the Simmons drama, has owned this season and has been excellent. So it's hard for me to look at anybody other than Joel Embiid. I think John Morant has a similar sort of case of like a breakout star. I don't know if I would put him at the same level of Embiid, but I think it's Morant and Embiid right now. And even though Giannis continues to do awesome things, I think there are going to be multiple years where Giannis looks like the MVP and he's just not going to win it. It happened to LeBron. I think the same stuff will happen to Giannis. 
2K goes to Drew Holiday. His hot shooting continues. He was 4-5 from 3 at 19 points. Uh, Holiday continues to be a revelation behind the arc. I think that Drew Holiday has figured out whatever. he. It wasn't like Drew Holiday was a bad 3-point shooter either, but... Drew Holiday has become much more consistent from behind the three-point arc. And I think that is a major development for Milwaukee. I I don't know if enough people are talking about that as like if you're looking ahead and saying, all right, now not only do you have Middleton who can hit a big shot every now, you know, most times, like in the clutch moments when it matters. And Middleton has struggled, admittedly. It has not been a great year for Chris Middleton overall. But Chris Middleton can still, you know, make a big bucket when it matters the most. And now you have another guy who behind the arc can be lethal. And that's that's really good to see. And Holiday has been on a tear of late. I think, you know, his sort of three-point step back game is unparalleled to anybody on the team. And Holiday's kind of owning this right now. And it's been a really fun thing to see i don't know if it's all-star influence right like he's trying to become an all-star reserve and maybe he's just playing a little bit you know up a level um i think those reserves come out tomorrow i think yeah thursday so we'll see if holiday gets in i think he should he deserves it there are a lot of things that lay out why holiday should be an all-star over a guy like say lamella ball or darius garland i realize ball and garland are sexy i realize they're exciting but Holiday has had a better year than both of them. And I think Holiday will put both in a torture chamber if they face him in the playoffs. 1K goes to Bobby Portis. The fact that Bobby was ready to get goalie with Montrezl Harrell after a hard foul was great. I loved it. Giannis was like, all right, I'll pay your fine. Bobby was right in his grill. Bobby was ready to throw hands to Montrezl Harrell. Didn't care that he was going to get suspended. I fucking love that from Bobby Portis. And that's the type of guy you need. And that's why Bobby Portis is a buck. And by the way, we do not say gully enough. Remember when you're saying, oh, you're going to get gully? I forget when that got popular. I forget why it got popular. Good word. I think I'm going to bring it back. But yeah, Bobby Bobby wanted to wanted to brawl. Bobby was ready to throw hands, and that it, I'm always appreciative of that. 17 to seven, also, <laughs> so he played well. I was going to give it to Grayson Allen honestly because I I liked what Grayson Allen did in the final five minutes. Grayson Allen has not been part of that closing time lineup, and the Bucks go on a 17 to two run. I think that gives. Bud more confidence for Grayson Allen in the final five minutes. And I hope that this is not a stubborn Bud thing because the George Hill closing time experience should be over. And I hope that that's the case, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You never know with Mike Budenholzer. So those are the Golden Kegs for Bucks Wizards. Mitch and I tonight, we are going to be doing the podcast uh, Wednesday for Thursday. So we'll uh, we'll have tapping the keg up. I think it's 449 so then we'll have 450 uh, after after that. Got some fun things maybe planned as the year goes on. Uh, excited for that. And then we'll be back with a daily tap on Friday. I want to do this big thing on NFC versus AFC quarterbacks. Um, I think it, Friday is a good time to do it. Um, and I, I just want to deep dive it really hard. Um, I know I've gotten some compliments before about when we deep dive on the podcast. It's great. Sometimes I don't have the time that I, I want to for this, but I, I'm laying it out. I think I can do it. Uh, so we'll talk about that hopefully on Friday. If we, if not, we it's definitely something we can do for the Super Bowl, for after. Um, it's not necessarily something that has to be done on Friday, but I'd like to because I, I'm really kind of fascinated in my own research to see if it qualifies with what how I'm thinking. 
All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a excellent Wednesday, halfway through the week, and we will talk to you tomorrow. All right, see you. Bye.